back from an incredible, absolutely incredible time at the trophy. Uh, Troy, Lima, and myself made the journey overseas and got to engage with the European bonsai community for a fantastic event, the trophy, absolutely electric. Um, but prior to that monumental occasion, we had the opportunity to sit down with somebody who is a true pioneer, not just in Europe, but I would say in the Western world at large. Uh, Dan Say from the Ginkgo Bonsai Center, the originator of the Ginkgo Awards, this legendary figure, but also somebody who has given a lot to the international bonsai community, forged relationships between Europe and Japan, really united the European bonsai continent and led to the rise of the bonsai quality in the Western world that we know of today. Uh, truly an honor to sit down with this gentleman and get to witness all of the fruits of his labor over the course of his time in bonsai. And I uh, can't express enough gratitude to Danny for all that he's inspired us to do. Anyways, enjoy. Yeah, it's basically okay. <clears throat> everything that you've said to this point, I've been sitting there thinking, well, I hope he doesn't either mind saying it again or, mm-hmm. you know, it's been like, <laughs> yeah, a, it's yeah. been a continual conversation over a podcast. Yeah. Keep oh, my yeah, mouth yeah. shut and not ask him. So what's the, what's the uh, origin of your last name? Uh, when you, and when you get the employees and all the things that were going through my mind, it's like, I, I need to just... Don't pay, ask pay, me any pay, questions. Pay, pay, pace <laughs> <Yeah>. ourselves. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you're gonna ask me some questions. That's rapid yeah, fire questions. Well, I mean, I think we'll just we'll just have a conversation. If you want to oh. drink whiskey, I think you should. <laughs> yeah, I may able to even with whiskey. I I I'd be able for a half an hour. <laughs> I but you you know what the whole the whole reason I started thinking about this and podcasting with you is because. I was lucky enough to get to to sit next to you at the banquet last year at the trophy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, and a lot of the things that you said to me really resonated with me, mainly from the perspective that <clears throat> I would never, I would never um, be so arrogant as to compare, you know, what I'm trying to do to what you've done here because you've really transformed. European yeah. bonsai, with but uh, you you do it now in a much better way than than I did because uh, I I look up to what what you do because this is already in a different time frame. You you but you do now the best that what's possible. What I see from from what you guys doing over there now, this is what I ever hope to bring to Europe. You have the material. You you also uh, give priority to make your own garden yeah. instead of uh, you you make the combination to traveling around, do everything, and still your own garden has a big part of your priorities. And this is for me uh, a real true bonsai person that that also look care about his own work, his own collection, and bring this also to an art level and. Yeah, I was. I'm impressed of what you're doing. Uh, I mean, I'm very flattered. I because I think like you always. I mean, I I remember being in college, and I think I told you this as we were sitting there at the at the dinner, reading articles about you styling trees, and then obviously the Ginkgo Awards were happening as I was in college, and then when I went to Japan and seeing 
the massive rise in European bonsai as a result of the Ginkgo Awards and stuff. It's like, I mean, it, what you did paved the road, created the notion, at least for me, oh, this is what's possible. This yeah. is this is how you get this kind of thing done. This is how you elevate the level of bonsai in a in a in a you know for you on a continent. Yeah. For for me, I mean North America just just as a singular country. I mean all, although it's it's fairly large, it seems a lot easier to do in a singular country than on a continent where you have so many cultures that you were engaging with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but it I, as we were sitting there talking, I was like, man. I would I would really like to podcast with Danny just because of the significant amount of history uh, uh, and uh. and everything that you've kind of seen and done over the course of your time and and then today as we've been talking I mean I had no idea of your background that your parents were both involved in horticulture even my grandparents were, even, uh, so so, I, so this is like your involvement with plants is something that is from several my, generations yeah, yeah, yeah. and and you just naturally continued on and carried on the family yeah. tradition. And then you showed us your very first Chinese elm yeah. that you bought back in, would you say 1970? Yeah, it was beginning 70s. Yeah. And this is the beginning of your bonsai passion. This was uh, the beginning of my bonsai passion without knowing what I was really doing. I just love this because I, I was at school uh, and for me, I, I was for garden architecture. I have... Uh, uh, went to school for that, and uh, during the time with the school, uh, we had to go to the Ghent uh, flower show mm. with the school. So we were walking around, but guys from 17 years old or something, and walking around, and in a flower show, you're looking to a corner where you can smoke a cigarette, and you look, <laughs> you look around if there are not any beautiful girls to to look at. The last thing I was expecting because I saw plants and trees like at my parents' place. And I know all the growers that were there. I didn't expect a stand, but I certainly stood still and said, whoa, what's this? I heard about bonsai, I know about bonsai, but I didn't know any, and I never saw them in real person. You yeah. know? And then I saw the stand and said, whoa. So uh, because I know all the growers in the flower show, I know also where the trees were came from and where, were the, where, where they were going to. So after the show, they were in a nursery here uh, close by and uh, because they could not bring them to China and Japan anymore. So I was really curious what, what's going to happen. So this, those guys didn't know how to watering and the trees were start to neglect a little mm -hmm. bit. And I could buy one I, I, with all the money I saved. I bite my first bonsai over there without knowing, am I capable? And this was for me the normal thing. So uh, yeah. I really start to work properly on this tree 10 years later, I think. I had this tree 10 years. And for the rest, I was just uh, experimental things with my father's plants that I molested on purpose <laughs> to second and third quality <laughs> to convince them those were not good so I'm going to try something out for my hobby and uh, till he said now it's enough your corner is big enough just stop with it <laughs> <laughs> mm. Wait, so your parents did your parents have a nursery yeah okay and and they grew material for the garden they grew material the for landscape. the garden and my father was also a little bit uh, yeah 
uh, into grafting. So that was his hobby, grafting things. So he was always on Sunday experimenting which variety he could graft on which variety oh, and all wow. this kind of combinations. So it was also a nursery that uh, have a large quantity of different varieties. He was really interesting in different varieties. So there were thousands of different varieties of plants. So I was really familiar with growing things. It was, uh, and my grandparents as well, but this was in the time of the war that they had their nursery. So they, they had to produce more fruit trees and where the farmers could use for hedging. So they, they, they more cultivated that plants. But also my grandfather, I was, when I was a kid, I, I worked together with my grandfather and mm. made cuttings and everything. So for me, this was all the horticulture side of bonsai was it, normal. It is in your blood. Yeah. It is in your blood. What most of people uh, make a big deal of it, uh, how to make cuttings and let them grow and how to seedlings and grow them up and everything uh, layering before or under the ground or above the ground or whatever. Uh, for me, this was a normal thing. Hmm. When you were getting interested in bonsai, what, were you, what did your parents think about it? Had they, had they heard of bonsai before? or was it? My father had something, okay, do your thing as long as you do your job. Uh, <laughs> you <know? laughs> he never was expecting uh, something till the moment I finished with school and I had this one question, uh, but I want to travel. Uh, and in that time I was thinking, it is China. China, this is uh, where I have to be and then I can, I can learn everything about bonsai. So uh, this was my first mistake, I, uh, because nobody could tell me. It was not the time that uh, people say, no, I'm, I introduce you in Japan, and I don't know. That was before that. So I was traveling to China, hoping to see bonsai. This was my biggest mistake ever. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Did you have any luck? Uh, I saw five or six somewhere, <laughs> and, uh, but uh, I was traveling in China, went back after two weeks, and okay, that was it, and... And it's like uh, a needle in a haystack in China. It's <laughs> <laughs> a big country, hoping but, uh, you run into some pinging. Yeah, man, I was 20 years old, and uh, how can I mm. ever, yeah. And from there, I was just uh, experimenting with everything. So my last year uh, at school, we have to, to work for a couple of days uh, in another nursery um, every week. And I choose an old uh, nursery because here in the neighborhood uh, we have two areas really close around us and there are more than 500 uh, growers of different kind of rhododendron, azalea, all that kind of. And then another 500 uh, really nursery, uh, different kinds of nurseries with all different kinds of plants. So uh, through my parents, I, I know all these people. They all have old material somewhere, leftovers that they plant somewhere in the corners. Right. So um, I could buy this really cheap because they were really happy that I was there to clean it up. Uh, all this <laughs> stuff from 20 years old that they couldn't sell to nobody. And finally there was a young guy and he gave money for it. And even I was saying, okay, you don't have to dig them up. I will do it. So this and they're is, like, yeah. <laughs> and this is the material where I learned most of it. 
on on the whole thing. So for me, the whole scene started when Hatsumi uh, came to Europe. Hatsumi Terakawa. And can I stop you before you yeah. go into this because I, I I'm really curious about Hatsumi and his impact. But <laughs> but in terms of so there wasn't. There wasn't really bonsai happening in Europe, at least that you were aware of at that point in time when you were just starting. No, no, I just uh, were doing my thing. And my father also for the hobby was uh, uh, playing with pigeons and prize winning things. And this was mm. his thing with his nursery. So I could use uh, his uh, material at terracotta things where he... Uh, let his pigeons uh, drink and eat, and so I used this as my bonsai pots. This was by the only <laughs> thing I had, and um, then, like I said, I molested some some of his trees with the tractor. I took a short shortcut, <laughs> and then I have another two trees that I could have. So this was more my material. <laughs> <laughs> and like driving from driving from Brussels to here, I mean, it's almost when you look out. I haven't spent a lot of time in the Belgian countryside, but it's it's very agricultural. Yeah. Is is agriculture a just a an accepted part of the culture in Belgium? I mean, is everybody engaging with it on on some level? Most of them, and when, when only city people just uh, look different, but all the yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is <laughs> being Belgian goes hand in hand with cultivating plants. Farming Most, potentially, yeah, yeah. yeah. They all have garden. They all want to have to do something in the garden, and this and is, is this region specific to nursery cultivation. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah, so yeah. this is. And did you grow up here? I grew up here. Okay. Yeah, not so far from here. Okay. Cool. Yeah, driving here, you could see people's backyards and stuff. Yeah. And just how many cultivated backyards? Just beautiful gardens on the way here. Well, well, what beautiful. about the, no shortage shortage of hedges? Oh, those hedges! I were mean, incredible. hedges were like you know surrounding My almost every goodness, property you yeah. drive by. Yeah, just incredible. Um, yeah, but when hedges. when you drive here around, uh, you only have to drive two minutes, and and you see a lot of different nurseries. Uh, and even ten minutes from here, there are streets filled up. There are all neighbors, all nurserymen. Wow, that's so awesome. It's wow. cool. So it's very similar to where we're at yeah, in Oregon. Totally, very Oregon. Oregon's a nursery mecca for North America. Yeah. It's the right climate, it's relatively similar to Belgium, honestly. Yeah. So for me, this, this was also a lot of variation of different types of trees, plants, and uh, where I could take my first experiments with. Uh, also, my wiring was with old electricity wire, and you know, <laughs> there, there was nothing. Actually, there was nothing. And finally, I had the news that in Germany, somebody started uh, a bonsai nursery, and it was in Heidelberg in that time. So uh, it was from here four, four and a half hours drive. And this man should bring some material from Japan. Uh, so I jumped in the car, went to there, look in Heidelberg what they have, and I said, "Oh, I don't have enough money. I only in that time with Belgian francs had 
I thought I had a lot of money with me, with my 20,000 Belgian francs, which <laughs> means 500 euro, but uh, that was just enough for two plastic bags with some wire, a scissor and concave cutter and a root cutter or something, and that was it, you know. I <laughs> said, oh, I have to come back here because... So that was that, no books, no information. This was my first contact with, whoa, somebody has the real material to work on. How old were you? How old were you at that time? I think 21 or something. 21? 20, 2021, 20, yeah. So so you started to dive into Hatsumi Terakawa coming to Europe. When did, when did Hatsumi come to Europe and what was that like? Uh, I'm not sure, but it has to be already late 70s. So you so right around that same Begin, time. So you're in your early twenties. Uh, well, then there was a little bit because we 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 had not so much different in our age. He's a little bit younger than I do, and um, he's father-in-law. In that time, right. uh, Mr. Lauder from Holland was a famous importer. Uh, for Europe, so also he started bonsai, but now I'm talking about my my story that I just told you, and now there is already 15 years in between. Eh? Hmm. Um, and Mr. Lauder was uh, on so the buying... you're in your 30s now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So through your 20s, you're just... Heidelberg is there, you're playing with... You're and running over stuff with your... Tractor yeah, and digging up pieces, and I worked at my father's nursery, and in the same time, I started up my own nursery. Okay, so uh, with the permission of my father, I could start my same my own nursery. With uh, he was thinking, well, it will be also an a nursery with container plants with uh, different variation of plants, which I did. But I I did strange things with these plants, you know, and he was not so happy. I, oh, you think you can sell this? And I said, no, I don't know. Uh, so I made from beautiful plants ugly things in his eyes, and it was, it was more or less true what he said. So uh, because you, you don't know really the techniques and you're doing something. So I start my own nursery. It was uh, 10,000 square meters of container plants and I start with fencing off a little corner and this was my bonsai corner that was uh, that was how it starts in the beginning so this was more in train plastic training pots and I have big ideas uh, about what I'm doing but still I have to go back uh, my last year when I went to school and the nursery where I where I was working then two days a week, this man was was a special a special nurseryman. It was not a normal gardener. This was the only nursery in the neighborhood that didn't use bamboo sticks to let trees grow straight up. <laughs> All plan, the right? other nurserymen, they cultivate young plants, and this was the man that let them grow freely. And for me, this was the first contact with character, character mm -hmm. in a plant, not even in a bonsai, but I saw older plants. While the other nursery people, after 10 years and they didn't could sell a product, they plant it in a corner and they don't want to see it again or they throw it away. For him, this was pure gold. He did something with it. 
He planted in gardens and he gave it a certain angle like we do with bonsai. I didn't realize that, but I, I find it fascinating. And this man gives me a book. And this was the first book original from Yoji Yoshimura, I oh, think. Okay. That was then just from from the 50s, I think. It yeah. was published in the 50s. Yeah. And this was the first book I, I said, this is going to be interesting for you. I see where you are interested in and what you try to do. This man gave me my first book, and from there, whoa, finally I saw the things that were looking on the tree that I've bought once yeah, and that right. I still have, and, and now I had finally my information. Nice. So and Yuji Yoshimura's book was your first bonsai yeah, book. Yeah, yeah, epic. Yeah. <laughs> epic. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, there was there was not so much more. You yeah, know? Uh, in in the time that I was already uh, uh, busy, was just the second book of Harry Tomlinson came out. But then I was already ten years doing bonsai. Uh, right. So. The first Kimura book was was even 15 years later, and, uh, and this was then. Whoa, whoa, what is this? Yeah, everything you know uh, <laughs> is, is is now gone. Uh, mm -hmm. What what this man doing? This Japanese. Yeah, but um, yeah. Then then the time that uh, Mr. Lodder went to a buying trip with his daughter, probably the, the, the most stupid thing he thought he ever did, <laughs> was taking his daughter with him. <laughs> and he was walking around in Japan to all the classic uh, gardens that I uh, later on also learned to know a lot. So did he went to buy bonsai specifically? He went to buy bonsai. So this was after Heidelberg, the Lodder was also one of the first importers in Europe. Okay. So this was also in the in the period that Lodder was starting and bringing trees to Europe. And is this the 80s then? Are we in the 80s? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's first because before Lodder was just a flower company with uh, succulents and other type of plants. He did everything except... So um, he married uh, with a Japanese wife also, and from there he started to import bonsai. Oh, wow. So this was also... He was also in the beginning of uh, the whole thing. And um, then later on, he visited some gardens in Japan, and yeah, the, the traditional, you go to Mount Sayan, and then you have uh, the brother Hideo, Hideo Kato, and Yangobu Mansai, and that was the garden where Hotsumi was working. Right. And uh, they met each other over there, the daughter and Hotsumi, and before you can even blink your eyes, he was in Europe. And wow. <laughs> so uh, they, they brought him to Europe, and Hotsumi was uh, also working in Lodder's nursery there, and we met each other there. And finally, he was visit my nursery, and he saw these big garden plants that I was doing. So for him, that was something, whoa, I'm in Europe, and this is European materials. Uh -huh. Big junipers, thicker garden plants, uh, hinokis from Europe, uh, all that. Yeah, all cedars, uh, whatever, that, that uh, with thick trunks. So Hotsumi was uh, come as a regular to my nursery to buy his demo material. And from there we became friends. Uh, and 
then later on it was went not so well with his girlfriend with the daughter of father and he was in a position and came to me and say well uh, he told me uh, all the situations and he asked well can can i work at your nursery because now i'm in europe and so i said yeah no problem so we became better friends he worked in my nursery and from there we built the nursery up and i got my japanese friend so he introduced me then to japan he introduced me to his world which was more closer to the not commercial way because in that time there were a little bit more importers starts to go to japan mm-hmm. so uh, my my period of importing trees started from this introduction and he introduced me to yeah of course the the, the normal gardens uh the commercial gardens but also the whole mansayen story right you have uh, yagumo mansayen and then the third brother tarakichi kato um and mansayen city and it was now it's uh i think this garden was sold to who is the man murakawa okay murakawa is uh, was was taking over uh the the garden of tarakichi and I see now regular on a regular basis photographs of the garden, and it's just so familiar. Um, but I I still have my memories of the the old nursery. Yeah, of course. Because I was really a close friend of 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 those the whole family over there, and I I could easily walk. Um, and then I was riding with the bike from from one place to the other. Also, right. Koneko was Koneko was so close to. Uh, to Hideo's garden and a walking distance of two minutes. And so this was more the area that Otsumi introduced me and also the better quality Japanese stuff. Now, were you were you kind of studying with Terakawa at that point? I mean, was he uh, teaching you? No, and- we were actually so good friends, working days and days and days together that... Was it studying? No, because we were working together, discussing together, have our arguments together, <laughs> had everything together from five days, six days a week. Yeah. So even in, in that time, we didn't even realize that we were friends. We were just doing our thing, both. And, uh, and he's he's making bonsai. Are you focused on continuing more of your standard nursery practice or are you also gravitating more towards bonsai? Of course, uh, because for me, uh, the nursery that I have, I I produce a certain product and this product became finally something that you can sell. But I saw also a future in that product. If I continue with the same product, how far can it Come. So this was one thing, but on the other hand, I saw also the European creations and I follow very closely the demonstrations that he did all over Europe and, and he came back from Italy with Italian Yamadori and brought it also to my nursery and it, it, it was all going so fast and it came all so fast to me that for me it was a normal thing. Yeah, The first Sabina's were way before everybody was talking about the Sabina that, yeah. that, that we have and we tried it. 
And on the other hand, he exp the, the experiments, it, it costed me also a lot of money because he was in Europe and tried to do some Japanese techniques that didn't work out here. Uh, like a repotting in the middle of the summer and, ah, and, yes. and all this kind of stuff, uh, things that they do in Japan and pruning techniques and pinching techniques from Japan that didn't work out well here with our varieties. So we went the whole way together and... Wow. This is, uh, yeah. That all, had to be very exciting. It was because it was all new. It was all new. Um, but yeah, all the, the introductions that he did in Japan for me, but most was the work here. Mm -hmm. And he's still here in, in the nursery. He comes back two times a year for a week. He come and help me out every time when busy season, I just have to, to call him and say, uh, it's time. It's growing over my ears. <laughs> and then within the week he's here. Wow. So uh, he's still friends. He's still doing uh, my part of, of of the import as well. So uh, I use his garden. I I ever always used part of his garden to stock my material. <laughs> and still over there, I uh, he sent me photographs and say, okay, take this one, this one. So I still buying in Japan without going. Right, right, <laughs> right. So so you started importing. He he introduces you to the Monsayan family, yeah. which obviously he's he's a part of as a yeah, as yeah, a yeah. disciple of the the Mons, the Kato family. You start importing trees when uh, directly from my first visit to my my first introduction that he gave me to all the the the, the Kato family and everything. I, I've started to buy trees. I bought my first container without having any money, without knowing what was import, what I needed for it. So, uh, wow. So this was, uh, Just went big right off the bat. Mm. Yeah. So it was a different time, you know, when you want to make an investment now and you go to the bank, they probably tell you no. Right. Give us a better story because we cannot give you money. Um, in that time, it was the other way around. I went to Japan and I came back, went to the bank and said, I need some money because I bought uh, a tree. There is a container now. They, they're loading them now for the moment and they're going to send <laughs> them. So it, it will be here arriving, I think, in about a month. And I need uh, two million Belgian francs. That's a... Uh, so they were, okay, yeah. And uh, how long you think you can pay us back? I said, well, as soon as possible, I think. Give me uh, five, six months and we will see. Okay, we arranged that. And uh, So that was as easy as that. I cannot imagine if you go now to the oh, bank man. with a story like that, that is, okay, man, we give you the money. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's say good luck. <laughs> but, but, your, but your whole thing was not importing in terms of the more commercialized bone site, you no. were going more towards the higher level bone site. Immediately, the uh, high class, the mm -hmm. best I could get, the, the best that uh, they were offering. And um, that was also my first contact with high quality trees. And I, I talk now about, uh, yeah, it must be all, we must be already beginning of the 90s, I think. Okay. 
And I bought uh, my first expensive maple, which in, in that time I talk about price was 3,800,000 yen or something. So this was my first step in that time. I said, okay, the first tree I buy here is bam, bam. Mm. Immediately something. Uh, and it was uh, Hideo and he said, well, I, I give you a 700,000 discount um, if you leave the pot here and I give you exactly the same pot under the tree. We do the repotting. You will not see the change. It's just because this is an old pot, and I give you exactly the same new, same right. color, same size, everything. And I said, whoa, that's a big discount. So the, the, I missed the information to say, okay, fine. And there was Hotsumi again, I said, uh, to, to, to inform me exactly mm -hmm. what was the offer and what was against, uh, what you're going to do wrong and right. Eh? right. And he was there. And for me, there was no room for mistakes because he was always next to me uh, in decisions like that. So I understood really fast what an old pot was, what an old pot means under a tree, what the original pot so. Interesting. It's uh, it's all came to me very fast and still, actually, uh, it goes on like that. Uh, we, we we were always friends with the ups and downs, and I, I learned most from him. Mm -hmm. that, I mean, uh, so you're talking about importing higher level bonsai in the early '90s, which is right at the core of the bubble period in Japan, which means that yep. you're talking about a $38,000, if you're talking about US dollars, you're talking about a $38,000 maple in the early 90s. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you're getting a $7,000 discount by changing out the container on it. But I mean, uh, that is, you're talking peak peak prices for yeah. Japanese trees at that point in time when yeah. you started going deep because with the bubble period, the demand is high. You're talking about the Omiya Bonsai Village around Mansai Inn as yeah. the epicenter, which is also where the money and the bubble period hit yeah. Japan the hardest right around Tokyo is where really it was booming. That's fascinating. What a gnarly market to be diving into Bonsai Inn. And I'm assuming as, as Terakawa is, because we've sort of jumped from the 70s to the 80s to the 90s, but over the course of this time, he's been traveling and demonstrating, which would be, yeah. uh, which would say that European bonsai is starting to European, sort of ca catch European on. European bonsai was Terakawa in that time. He was, he yeah. was the yeah. sort of godfather if you will that of was the first japanese in europe that traveled around europe and the first that uh, teached to during his demonstrations to wire every single branch and put it in position mm -hmm. all the demonstrators before did a rough wiring and then and with a lot of stories around it and they did something but he was the one that Worked in detail, mm -hmm. and even if if they give him material that was good enough for the three hours, he worked three hours. He wired the rest of the tree, and he did everything with it, and finally, the last minute, he chopped off everything what he didn't need, and there was a small tree left over, and uh, that was already finished 15 minutes after when he started in the, in the first branch. It was his tree. 
because proportional wise he was always looking to something perfect and the rest of the two and a half hours he just continued wiring and, and did his job and without saying a word and he makes something nice out of it and then he cut it off Chuck. and there was a little tree left over <laughs> <laughs> but he worked he was paid for three hours so he worked three hours that's, fun. that's funny <laughs> mm-hmm. when, I, when I talk when I talk to different European bonsai practitioners that have, have been in, involved for a long time, Terakau's name is always one of the predominant names that they bring he up was. as just a, a tremendous influence, massive yeah. influence all over on the European continent. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and 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 as you're as you're going diving in deeper and deeper into bonsai, obviously you're practicing bonsai at a higher and higher level because. I was in college in from 2000 to 2004, and I remember seeing an article on the internet um, of you doing a, a major bend on a root system of a, a tree whose roots had been grafted in Japan. And, I'll, and I remember the article <laughs> specifically because you, you were in the middle of bending the root and you said, somebody open the door and this is not what you want to have happen when you're this focused, <laughs> you know? And I was like, wow, Danny's like, he, he's, he's doing the same things that these Japanese professionals are doing. There's a Westerner that can do this. And then soon after that, Marco Invernizzi began apprenticing with Mr. Kramura yeah. and all of a sudden it's like, oh wow, a Westerner can, and Kathy Shaner in the United States had studied with uh, Yasuo Mitsuya, who was uh, an apprentice to the Daijuin family uh, down in Nagoya. And so that that kind of whole thing was happening in North America. But I was very, very aware of Europe. And I was very aware of Europe mainly because I the Bonsai Today was the publication, the magazine that yeah. we had in North America. But when Bonsai Europe started... Yeah, I we started seeing this Yamadori in Europe, and then and that also dovetailed together with the Ginkgo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the Ginkgo Awards was this thing because everybody knew of the Kokfu. Yeah, but there wasn't a national show in North America, and Europe didn't have a singular show. And then all of a sudden, you did this thing. You made the Ginkgo Awards, and yeah. it and it took European bonsai. And it's like it strapped a super high-powered rocket to its back yeah. and just lift off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was amazing. When, when and why did the Ginkgo Awards come about? Why did you do it? When did that happen? I mean, we're, we're to the 90s. Terakawa's having right. influence. You're importing higher-quality trees. You're learning the nuances of these things. You started out as a kid, this Chinese elm at 17, yeah. at the Ghent, you know, flower show. And all of a sudden now we're here 15, 20 years later, <laughs> just so deep into the bonsai world as an outsider to Japan, so deep in the Japanese bonsai world. You, I mean, like you're breaking all kinds of barriers down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's a long story actually, but um, it all happens... Um when Iba gets involved in the whole story, and we had in Belgium here the, an Iba convention in Bruges. So that is not so far from here, and it's only uh, from here, not even 25 minutes drive. To Bruges? Yeah. No. 
Really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I had yeah. no idea Bruges was that close. You're not seeing <laughs> us tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. Huh? You're not you guys, you guys should go to Bruges tomorrow. <laughs> I support you're, that. Uh, you should take yeah, line. I'll take my boyfriend here, with me tomorrow. Nine, yeah. minutes, <laughs> nine minutes from the, but take the old part of Ghent. This is much more beautiful than Bruges, <laughs> I will tell you. <laughs> Have you seen Ghent? The old part of Ghent? Well, that night, the last trophy night, we were out with the guys drinking. Uh-huh. And we went to some part of... It was all cobblestones. Yeah, red light district you were. Uh, you were <laughs> drinking whiskey. <No. laughs> well, I, I'd have to I'd have to think about that. I, you, I don't know. Ghent, Ghent would be worth it tomorrow. Anyway, yeah, okay. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. So Iba's so, in so, Bruges. Yeah, it was in Bruges. And uh, so I had my bonsai nursery and everything. And uh, there were some international demonstrators and everything. It was a big setup. Uh, um, one of the demonstrators was Chase. Chase Rosset. Uh, oh, <laughs> so... Um, I said, well, I'm, I'm not going to take uh, a sales area in between all the vendors uh, I don't, because I, I had my nursery so close to them. I said, well, I'm, I'm doing something different. So uh, in between all the vendors, I had my stand and I make a nice background like a huge tokonoma with two trees, an accent and a suiseki. Between all the vendor stands filled up, it, there was certainly the best of the show, but not in the show. Mm. <laughs> One of uh, my friends were there with, with flyers about uh, this nursery is only 20 minutes further here, and if you want, you can visit. Um, so I saw Chase coming, and I hear him shouting, and what? the fuck is this <laughs> they 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 give him they give him their uh, a plant for his demonstration a normal young garden plant so he came in my garden in the back of my garden he saw yamadori he saw everything and said, yeah, right. why, why do i have to work on this and, and it's just here 20 <laughs> minutes further <laughs> so all these things i have the whole european bonsai scene uh, passing through my garden i have also the start of my private collection and there they, they start to know me and I start to know them. I had contact and conversations with a lot of uh, different European people there. And there my idea starts to grow together with a Dutch guy, Hans van Meer. Hans from, from Holland uh, pushed me actually in a way he said, you can do something like that. You, you can bring this together. If, if somebody can do it, it's you. Hmm. So it, it, it starts in my head uh, day and night. I was like, how do I have to do something? How, how can I contact all those people? So most of them, I just give a phone call. A few others, I just start to travel and visit in person. Like Walter, I drive to Walter's place, mm. drive to Piers Notter's place in Switzerland. And I told them about my idea. I want to have the best artists and the best bonsai of Europe together in one place. See what happens. See if everybody's coming. And yeah. from there, are you interested? And so I had the luck that Luis Vallejo from Spain was one of the first that say, okay, I'm in. I'm coming. So I could advertise, we have already Luis Vallejo. We have already Walter Paul. Right. Mm, so I have to, what, because those are the guys that were doing the demonstrations. They were paid for every move they made. 
And I had to tell him that I'm paying nothing, no travel expenses, no hotel, nothing. Because I want you all together. So it took me a year and I had a whole show together. They all promised to get there. So I was really curious and I built up completely on my own expenses, uh, tables and backgrounds and everything and with a few friends and we built this up and all those guys came and at the same time um, my club, the K Bonsai Kai, also had the first greenhouse and the second greenhouse was for the Kinko show and the first greenhouse was for the K Bonsai Kai. So those with the, from the local club had first exhibition and the others were international. Cool. So and the day was there on the Friday. They all brought the trees in for the first Ginkgo Award. There were some trees flying over with plane. It was also international happened. Trees from Mallorca, big olive trees. We opened the crate. Never heard anybody about Angel Mota. Who is this? Who the fuck is Angel? Or <laughs> some guy of, of Mallorca. But we opened the crate and said, whoa, what's this? Two huge, mature olive trees with that, with nobody was seeing. I say, wow, this is the level. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the second crate I opened from the man, uh, pot was broken. I say, yeah, okay. Here goes the responsibility. I, invi I invited these people, so we have to replace the pot for the man that he can exhibit, and it's on our expenses. And I took my responsibility for everything that I organized, you know, all yeah. those kind of things. And it was uh, a big success. Everybody was so over it. And Angel Mota won also the, the prize in the big size. Luis Vallejo won in the mid uh, size. We have three prizes, Shogun, mid-class and big size. Yeah. <clears throat> and... Uh, Yeah, the best bonsai is in Europe. Everybody was so over and you have to do it again. You have to do it again. And from there, Angel Mota was a world famous person. He started, he, he gave up his uh, business because he was producing kitchens or something and he had a factory and certainly he was demonstrating all over the world every weekend. He was somewhere. It was the world famous guy that won the Ginkgo Award. So, right. whoa, for me it was... We had them all together. So I promised the Saturday evening when we give the prizes, okay, from now on, we're going to do this every two years. Mm. Every year is really not possible because we were still counting on people that created their own trees. We never were in our head the import from Japan. In between that, it, will, it, it was all about the European Right. And with the, the, the second Ginkgo, there were already a few Japanese trees involved. But when I see all over the years, it was also good in balance. Top quality Japanese trees came over, especially for this award. So yeah. it went a whole way, and but also difficult for, for the European creators to keep going and keep this level that that against the japanese trees yeah uh, you need some time to work on tree mature tree and but uh it cost me a lot of money i spent a lot of money in in this whole ginkgo about i lost a lot of money the first i lost a lot of money on it the second 
The third, the third I, I think it was more or less break even. Mm-hmm. Number four, I could say, okay, probably we make a little profit. And from there it was booming right. to his best. But I, I, I spent all my money and even more than all my money in the first three. Yeah. And also I had luck that my wife is not complaining when I do crazy things like that because, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, on advertisement, on, on the whole thing, you know what it costs, sure. you know. Yeah. That's, and that's what I saw about your artisan's thing and the first thing I asked you, and did you get any money on it or <laughs> how much you lost I, I don't know how I ask it but I, I I could even guess I said this this is gonna cost so much and even if you ask a high fee to come in it's not possible to, impossible yeah, you impossible. have to be crazy to organize this yeah, I, I'm uh, and and I think when you started the conversation by asking me about that and just you know I, I was very clear it's very clear to me when we had that conversation and, and I let you know that, you know, the Artisan's Cup was, I mean, I lost my face on the Artisan's Cup, leveraged everything I had to make it happen. And then you s- shared that same experience with the Ginkgo <laughs> Awards. And yet we both felt compelled to do it. And you you continued to do it. I still feel compelled to do another Artisan's Cup. I just, I, I just uh, have to do it more intelligently the second, the second time, you know, when, it, when we get, when we do get, the opportunity to do it again, but um, the excitement and the energy and the motivation, right? Yeah. Wherever it comes from, this compulsion that's driving and driving and driving you to be blazing this new path yeah. and trying to bring all of European bonsai with you. I mean, for whatever reason that you chose to approach Walter and Luis and and the other pivotal names, P.S., uh, noter and 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 ask them to come be a part of this to try and see if you could in fact create this show. It's like it doesn't even matter what the motivation was. The fact that you went and you did it. Yeah, that's what. There's so many people think about doing these things and think about starting a bonsai nursery or think about making an exhibition. Not many people actually do it, and a lot of people try and stop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so to see somebody pull it all together and go all the way with it and execute it is like, wow, this is a big deal. And the fact that being in North America, you know, all of a sudden people are traveling to Europe to see the Ginkgo Awards. I mean, Randy Knight, who's a Yamadori collector that I work very closely with, uh, he was over here for either the fourth. How many did you do all together? Seven. Seven. Okay. I think he was here for the fifth. He was either the fifth or the sixth. Yeah, it's possible. And uh, and he wanted to come over here and see the quality of European Yamadori and how it had been transformed into bonsai to try and get a better gauge of what could potentially be possible with American Yamadori. I mean, that was his whole motivation for coming. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, people are coming over here. Bill Valvanis comes over and sees the Ginkgos and then starts doing the national show back in the in, in North America. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? It's like it, it, it started this trend... And you're seeing you're seeing the same carryover of the trend in places like Australia, where I think they're really trying to make a concerted effort towards national show. Yeah. And I think there are you know whispers of South Africa trying to 
kind of find this identity and, and start a, a consistency of a national show. And it's, I mean, it's very, very cool to have seen it have that kind of ripple effect on an international level. Yeah. But, but one of the things about it, I mean, okay, so you do seven Ginkgo Awards. At some point, you start to tap into that well of being able to do that every two years. Yeah, well, the, there was uh, also after the first one, everybody was so over all the magazines were filled up, so I promised I, I will do another one. And it has to become better. So from there, I asked to every country, uh, one or two responsibles to organize a national show. So it was every two years, it was the Ginkgo Award. Right. The year in between... They organized all a national show in every country. Bigger countries did two or three shows. And every time I was there. So every time I was at the national show and they, they knew all it was the pre-selection for the Ginkgo Award. Now you set that system up? Yeah. And they just wow, said, man. they just said, okay, Danny, yeah, that's uh, what we'll do. That was an honor for like Salvatore for Italy, like Kevin Wilson for England, uh, whatever. Every country had his responsible and he did it like wow. for the best. Wow. So uh, I was traveling always. The, the, the year before the Ginkgo was for me the most busy year because it, I was always traveling from show, national show to national show to make the selection. Mm -hmm. By every selection that I made, I was for one, one and a half hour on stage, they could ask me any questions. Most of the time I explained why I selected a tree and why just not or not at all. Uh, that people understood more about the standard and what you do right and wrong and how the difference between European bonsai and import bonsai and where is the, 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 the quality there somewhere. So, so it was a, a big explanation. That means also that there was a lot of pressure on my shoulders when, when they came to my garden. Mm. This because, is what you were talking about earlier. Yeah, uh -huh. so I, I talked to people, your tree is not good enough for that and that and that reason, and they could not find one tree in my garden with also these defects on it. So right. for me, my private collection has always on top level. Right. So <laughs> this I was hard work. Almost becomes unenjoyable at that point. Uh, it was even even for Hotsumi that uh, the the pressure the, the the months before the ginkgo was going. He was here every day. Uh, even that I was not in terms of we were not in terms of speaking to each other anymore <laughs> because there was so much work and pressure. Wow! And wow. Uh, but it 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 makes the whole European bonsai level was growing so fast during these discussions, during these critiques, that they could understand more easily about foliage quality because in that time, many people were working with junipers that they dig up from the gardens. You know, this Fitzgeriana junipers with this fluffy foliage yeah. and it was all with wire and looks nice and hard to become dense, but 
everything is possible with the juniper if you do it properly. Sure. So if they offered a tree like that a year before the ginkgo, with the wire in and everything, I can see or there are two solutions or the wire has to go off and rewire it again and offer it to the show like that. But every two years, I hired up the standard a little bit. Mm -hmm. So there was a time that I said, okay, this tree, the level is so high uh, that, that we cannot accept this anymore, that it looks like a fresh wired tree again. So we were growing every time. And like those kind of wirings and, and how they look, not, not, not developed, not mature enough. We were growing so fast that also these trees are not yeah. participate. So there was a, the pre-selections in every country and then there was a last selection at the door. So this was the most frightening moment for everybody. Mm. <laughs> because when I saw a juniper the year before in good condition, and then they brought it in the day before the show, ready to go to the photographer. And I was there in the front. I saw every individual tree. Yeah. They cleaned up. There was in the other glass house there a long table where they could clean up their trees and prepare them. And so I was always checking uh, the tables. And sometimes it happened, uh, sorry, man, but... This is the reason that we cannot do it. So we have a special room. They're safe here, but not going to be on the show. Mm. Wow. So this is the hardest. Cutting. That made some enemies. Made some enemies quick. <laughs> so uh, that, that was uh, the level how it was developing every two years, higher and higher and higher. Uh, even till the last one that I could say, okay, now... The European mature level is as good as the Japanese. And people start to buy top quality Japanese trees and bring them over. And for me as a, as a businessman, I always have to stay neutral. I, I had here many clients that came to my nursery by a high-class bonsai with the question, do you think this is a potential Ginkgo prize winner? <sighs> And even... Ultimate, ultimate compromising question mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. there. Yes, but also I was in a very, very difficult position because I'm a lousy businessman when it comes on that part, you know, because I'm, 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 I'm working and I'm thinking always straight. And even if you are my best client and you buy the year before a very good needle juniper, and he is not like it should be. Even if you spent $25,000 or euro or whatever on it here the year before, I reject those three. So Jeez. can you imagine that my amount of friends and enemies? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because I, I didn't promise anything, not even to my best clients. It's all about it's good or it's not good. It takes a lot of integrity. Yeah, and you you had the last call. Calls, you you yeah. you said <laughs> there was no one else that that, that I would, always had the last you call had about the, the whole selection thing. Yeah, so that's uh, really. But inside of that, there's another thing that's happening because it's every two years. 
and your level of expectation is rising in terms of the criteria that you're applying yeah. to the trees. But that means that your own knowledge and appreciation of bonsai has got to be improving at the yeah. same pace or faster than. But not only my own knowledge, also the knowledge of, and you name people like Marco Invernizzi, uh, many others, Mario, Mario Comstock sure. came also in that time uh, yeah. as a youngster up. All those experienced guys had their own clients. So they were working for several people that also want to get in. So private collections had now somebody that... So this is also something that started through the Ginkgo Award. Right. Something that was in Japan already normal. Sure was happening here yeah and people accepted and it was also the same people that that I hear say 10 years before nobody has to what what sense make it for having a hobby and and somebody else do your work and now certainly hmm. there was something else coming up yeah some experienced guys that do the job better than you can and they can bring your tree to that top level, yep. to this top exhibition, and they all understand it. Why? So nobody was asking questions, and there were the group of, they all do it by themselves, and then you have the collectors that were not capable to work on that top level, but also acceptable bonsai lovers, and they paid for it. There was another business that came which was normal and, and still is. But, I mean, isn't this what drives the level? I mean, when you look at the Kokufu yep. has set the level in Japan. Yeah. Because it, the trickle-down effect, yeah, um, the, the, the ginkgo starts, and now you have uh, a diversification of the people entering the trees, all self-made, or a collector that is hiring yep. a professional. Yep. Well, in the hiring of a professional, you've just created... Yeah. Somebody who can now make a living as a bonsai professional. You have the elevation of native material being shown at its highest level. Now, all of a sudden, there's a demand for raw yamadori because you have a professional and you see what that material can be. That raw tree, now there's a market for that. Yeah. And the other thing that I think we're really seeing the fruits of and continuing to see the fruits of now is the European ceramic, the mm. European pots have have taken over the world of western bonsai i yeah. mean they really european ceramics are are have come so far so fast and when you look at the original ginkgo a lot of the pots yeah. you know if they're japanese or they're chinese but also this was uh, you can see it i think from the first ginkgo book already and it was in all the books uh, we've started uh, here to invite Potters with yep. their stands, and yep. this was also new that all the potters uh, came together, the best uh, in Europe. And we had in that time a Derek Espinal, uh, right, right. and that Derek was was also one of my favorite potters, and he works for me, for Walter Paul, and for Luis Vallejo. And then he could some smaller things doing for his. Uh, people in his own country for for England mm -hmm. but he didn't have more time than working for 
if Walter asks him 50 pots and I ask him 80 pots and Luis asks him 30 pots, Derek was completely under stress for the rest of the year. Yeah, right. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Just getting crushed. And ordering pots in that time was completely different because I, I walk over my private collection, take up the measurements, uh, then I start to look in bonsai today, and uh, then I call Derek because it was all over the phone that we had to make our conversations. So I called him up. I said, Derek, are you ready for my order? So then uh, he took a piece of paper, said, bonsai today, number 74. Look in page number nine. There is a pine. And uh, these are the measurements of this pot that I need. Uh -huh. So those were the orders how we made <laughs> our pots. And that's how, and it was perfect every time. He was, this, this was the potter of the potters. Um, but also the rest of England, like Dan Barton, high quality stuff, yeah. Gordon Duffett, really, yeah. all, all those guys uh, just from the old days were the pioneers of, of the good stuff. Yeah. And I also have my own potter here. Uh, this was actually a, a student. He started to come to my old nursery and he told me, I want to learn everything about bonsai. And I am uh, I giving workshops and I am a professional teacher of ceramics. So I'm, I'm interested in bonsai pots, but I don't know what a bonsai pot is. So mm -hmm. can you show me? So this man was an artist and he know his job very well. He know everything about glazes, clay and name it. So after two, three, four, five visits and he starts to talk about this, I said, listen, I'm, I'm gonna make a deal with you. I'm gonna build a kiln. You know how it should be because I don't have a clue about it. We place it in my nursery. I give you a corner, I give you a studio and you can create your bonsai pots in my nursery, then I'm there every day with you and I can show you the needs of what I think bonsai pots has to be. Right. We are not going to try to make copy of Japanese pots. We try to do something else. So this man uh, was working here every day, six days a week. He was in my nursery here in my studio without knowing exactly what a bonsai pot was, and we create things together. I didn't have a clue about clay mixtures, glazes. I, I was not and still not busy with that. That, that is another job for somebody else. Yeah. I do trees. But I, I have a feeling for beauty and, and what's possible. So, And I saw him making things and said, no, it's too too big, it's out of proportion, it's not, it was always wrong. I let them do a month and I said, you, you spend a fortune here and, and, and still I don't see any pot that, 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 that appeals me. Uh, so he tries to make something and certainly uh, by trying, he came out in his own style. That's are the pots now, the pots that you see with a rough texture. Right. Mm -hmm. He started with that. Gotcha. And he started on a, on a way that um, there was a container with Korean bonsai trees that came in and the Korean soil 
where the trees from Korea in, it's more like a hard stone with a clay around it. It's something like that. Hmm. He said, oh, this is a strange texture. I'm going to mix this in my clay and, my so and see what happens. So uh, in the kiln, it's just plopped open and it gives a nice texture and it was something strange and all this this experience things that he made and that's how he create his own style and still there are some pots now in Europe uh, it, it's a normal thing his name was Andreas and he was also at the Ginkgo Awards with his stand there. He was at the yeah, fir yeah. In first row. <laughs> he, was, he was at home here. And everybody starts to appreciate his work and his pots. And now they are collector's items in, in Europe. Is this a, was it a wood fire or a gas kiln? or Gas. It was gas, gas, gas kiln, kiln. But also he went to the south of France. There was every year... Uh, a big event in an Anagama kiln under the ground and make a snake uh, kiln yeah. and with only with wood and they were with 25 people fired up and everybody yeah. put his pots in it. Uh, the other friends guy, Patrice Bongrand, was also involved in that yeah. uh, thing. So this were the pioneers of potters, actually. But now it's it's... It's huge. Is the the whole pot thing. It's amazing. Is, is the studio still back there, the ceramic studio? No, no. Todd, Todd is uh, making history uh, now. Uh, <laughs> <that's> <laughs> <right>. uh. <laughs> well, and I mean, you, you've kind of, you've, you've touched on it multiple times today, but just discussing, you were going to Japan and you were importing Japanese trees and you were heavily influenced by Hatsumi Terakawa, but somewhere inside of that, you develop. You started. It seems to me, anyways, from what what you've said, and and maybe I've misinterpreted it, but you really wanted European trees to to take on a European form and a European yeah. style, even though you were attracted to and importing Japanese trees. Yeah. You, it doesn't seem like you had the mentality like the Japanese way is the right way. No, you no. saw from a very early period that there are different ways yeah. to do bonsai. Where did that come from? Well, it's uh, this is probably came from my what I told in the beginning of our conversation when I went to school the first time I started to work with the guy that let the plants go freely uh -huh. growing and I show other shapes from plants also with an old natural style right and and then also we worked with other varieties, other European varieties are European elms, had a different shape. Our uh, tilia had a different shape. Our maples, European maples have a yeah. different. So all these are varieties where we work with, where, that we cultivate and that I see as I can, I, I tried it also before because I did bonsai without thinking long time sure try to make the perfect triangle try to make the perfect everything and it i realized it after a long period that the imperfection is so beautiful and that perfection is well what is perfection it's too perfect so it's not beautiful anymore right so i appreciate and i can still look to a japanese tree a cocoa food tree at, uh, with all his perfection. 
but I'm more attractive. I feel more with a tree that made 80% of his own character and is followed up by then. Then you have something special. Then yeah. you have this natural thing that I can find under a big old oak tree and everything, you know. And this, this is um, what Walter comes in the picture and what Walter is doing. Yeah. Uh, and I know with the techniques and, and the things that Walter is doing, there, there are people against and people like it. But Walter is promoting actually the European bonsai on the way it should be, you know. He works with that kind of variety at his own techniques and he brought it also to the ginkgos and... He has to fight against these perfect Japanese trees at the same exhibition. There were trees next to his tree, so perfect, and he was there with his rough materials. So if Walter should, if Walter should be born now or young now, comes in a young generation and doing his thing, he was even more popular. Yeah, yes, yeah. He'd be a superstar. And I mean, he already he is, is a superstar. He is now. He, he is the Pope of Germany. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, Walter probably, I think you could safely say that Walter has probably been the biggest cheerleader for bonsai yeah. in, in, in the Western world yeah. for the art form growing and expanding. I mean, he's yeah. made it accessible and appealing and opened up a lot yeah. of different avenues for people to look at it. And also the the, the the normal approach that every European should think about it. Why why do I have this traditional shape? And just let it grow freely. And the only thing that Walter uh, certainly do is mature trees, old trees. It's also a matter of time. He takes his time and yeah. all. He don't have to prove anything anymore. And it's just, yeah. just a big personality in the whole scene is is Walter. Yeah, yeah Walter's incredible. He's, he's mm -hmm. we had hit. We actually podcasted with Walter. He was at uh, my place in December, <laughs> and so we got to sit down and talk with him. And it, it was super cool, just because uh, you know over the course of a conversation, you get through all of the apprehension of talking into a microphone, and you and and you, and, and usually you can get Walter to to lighten up uh, quite a bit. And really, I totally dropped that off the plate. That's nice. That's good. That's good. And I correct me if I'm wrong, but one of my observations, having seen, and obviously I see European bonsai in a limited scope compared to being here all the time or having attended all the national shows that you've attended. But as the Japanese imports, because and you said it in the beginning of the ginkgo is, is primarily European trees. Yeah. And then there's been more and more importing from Japan and higher and higher quality trees coming in from Japan. Do you think that that has changed the direction of European bonsai? And do you think that that has potentially redirected the approach that European Yamadori is treated or taken? No. As? Um, there are a lot of European Yamadori styled over the years it's all okay there are most of them in good hands but 
seeing the level that where I stopped the last Kinko Award with it and then I told to everybody if there is another Ginkgo coming I have to be sure I can fill the whole show up with mature trees without wire knowing mm-hmm. when I say this that there's gonna be a gap of 15 years at least before we get there yeah and there are so many European trees that are now already mature, but not enough to make a good show. Yeah. Also, most of the trees going now in the second generation, handed over to somebody else or sold to somebody else. I also have a lot of trees sold to other bonsai people that continue and improve them and go from there. Mm -hmm. This is actually the meaning. But a Yamadori, how good the styling was that is styled this year and he has to finish in a good show, in a good European level. We need at least, if you do the work properly, 12 years, 10, 12 years before we can say yeah acceptable old this is what we want to see yeah and all the time that the tree is showed before it's with mixed feelings we give a not the right impression of what it really has to become but this is time yeah so there is a lot of European material, but the Japanese material, this, this is easy. Somebody go to Japan, you see them there by the thousands, you can select, it comes to Europe, and one week later, he's at the show. Yeah. Somebody that starts with mature material, and those are now the most advanced bonsai people, they're not doing shows with their own creations, they look around and they buy mature trees, older people of people that stop, and they come out to the shows with trees that they bought here in Europe, but with already 15 or 20 years work on. Sure. And we don't have enough trees of that level yet, especially not for sale, especially not yeah. uh, ready for a show. But it will come. That uh, the more they create, the more trees we have, but it's still young. Europe is big, many, many different countries. And then we have the other part, trees that never leaves the garden anymore. So many hidden yeah. pieces. Behind closed doors. Yeah, and most of them also because the people getting old. Mm-hmm. There are famous European bonsai collectors that are not coming out anymore. They were doing this 10 years ago, but people from the 70s, 80, 80 years old, or they not come and lift a heavy tree. It's good in the garden. And most of them also try to sell them or swap them for smaller sizes. But I mean, even like... Um Luis Vallejo is, a, I think, a perfect example. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about somebody who had 
you know, a Sabina Juniper that stopped Mr. Kimura yeah. in his tracks. I mean, he's mm -hmm. one of the most famous Sabinas in, in Europe. Yeah. Before Sabinas were even being really worked on, he's got some of the most advanced European native oaks as mm -hmm. bone sized specimens. Yeah. The, the, I, would, I would consider the most iconic Sylvestris Pinus Sylvestris yep. uh, that won the first ginkgo and and the mm -hmm. medium size. Yep. So so you're talking about somebody who has this prolonged history with European material, yep. and in the latter part of his career, he started bringing in a lot of high quality trees from Japan. Yeah, and I think his I don't and I don't know if his aesthetic changed or if his preferences changed, but I know when I came and saw the the Nolanders Trophy in 2011 was my first time being mm -hmm. in Europe seeing bonsai, and you had uh, Valerio Gianotti's uh, Buddha, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, Pinus yeah. Sylvestris that Ma that Mauro owns. You had David Benevente's Cascading Sylvestris, and you had Luis Bolinos Mugo Pine that you had sold yeah. to George Reinhardt for the Iba Convention, right? Yeah, yeah. So here are these three native monsters. <laughs> I mean, just absolute monsters <clears throat> of trees. There's history there. There's quality there. And over the course of my time coming to the trophy, um, because obviously you stopped doing the ginkgos and the trophy kind of filled, I think, a void that was there. Yeah. Coming to the trophy, I've <clears throat> seen more and more high quality, high quality finished Japanese trees. And and the other thing that I've noticed is I think the style of a lot of the European trees ha was almost moving in its own sort of stylistic direction. And yeah. it felt like with the influx of those Japanese trees that did start to be a little bit more dominant in the prize taking, yep. that the styling considerations and the styling preferences of even European Yamadori started to move back towards that more traditional model of the Japanese form and style. Yeah. And I and I thought it, it it honestly it kind of bummed me out because I again my my introduction to European bonsai was bonsai Europe. And I'm seeing you know, I'm looking on the internet and I'm seeing George Reinhardt's style, that Mugo Pine, where it's got this branch that crosses over the back of the trunk and he uses it almost as a secondary. And it's just like these creative ways, Terry Foster and this, you know, Pinus Sylvestris or some of the Hawthorns and just all of these unique things and the way they were being handled was different than Japan. And it was like, oh, there is a different way. Yeah. yeah. And just the, the thought of that forward trajectory continuing and then to see it sort of pulled back and put in the box of Japanese aesthetics was was really a bummer to me. Yeah, yeah. And and, uh, and I don't know if it'll continue that way. And I because the the culture in Europe is so strong. Yeah. And those cultural forces are pushing people's interpretations of aesthetic whether whether they like it or not. Yeah. You know, and and obviously there's a I think a reverence for Japanese culture in Europe, but but Europe is not Japan, and European people are not Japanese people. So no. there's that inherent lack of capacity to be that thing that created that Japanese model. So it's this weird tension that I see existing in, inside of European bonsai. I think we fight with it in North America as well, or at least struggle with. Mm -hmm. that duality of approaches and try to wrap our minds around how we do justice to both or try to as yeah. best we can, you know, but, but it, it is interesting to me. And, and it was in, for me, it was directly seemed to be directly influenced by the influx of Japanese material being imported. It depends also uh, who the artist is. Uh, there were in that period, many, many good artists, uh, different, but 
you could recognize immediately from who the work was. You you could see instantly a Kevin Wilson's job. Sure. You could see instantly a, a Salvatore Liparacci's job or Sandro Signeri's yes. job. Mm -hmm. Those are leaders of, of that time with just, you look to a tree and you see that's, you don't have to put a name card underneath, you see it immediately. Yeah. And um, those guys still have the same influences when they, they still do it. They're still using the same techniques of making a character brands, making a tree special. And this is the signature of such many individual European people. Mm -hmm. They all find it something yeah. to, to make their personal touch in this tree is so recognizable that you say, okay, this is, this is his job. Yeah. And if you're wrong after 20 years, then you're looking to a tree of one of their best students you know, it's it's so typical, yeah. and it, it stays like that. The Salvatore big pads, and 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 Sandro with his strange shaped branches, and, and his character Kevin with his carving work, and 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 his bigger growing apex to make the triangle yeah. working. Hmm. All these types of even Mark Nolanders had his same style of working. This instant creative thing that you can do with nothing, making something. So all those guys out of this period had something. Mm -hmm. And this was all new. And this is now the older generation that uh, left a lot of um, legacy and a lot of material behind. Like like Pius Notter is now, this, this is a man of nearly 80 with still a whole valuable collection. Yeah. So also for me, uh, I try to find out with this kind of collections where these trees are going to. And so for me, it's important if I want to do something later on with the old, I want to know where they are. Yeah. Because yeah. the idea is still there sooner or later, as long as I'm capable Maybe I do something I strange. I see. I see what's happening here. Yeah, there's almost like a nostalgia to that too, right? Like, uh, uh, I I, pr I promised also when we have enough mature trees, probably I love to do it. So I know there are already enough mature trees, but where are they now? Yeah. <laughs> It sounds like we have another ginkgo coming on the horizon. Because I'm, I'm now in a good position also uh, for, for the trophy. And um, if those guys can make it happen, it will be also sure. fine for me. Yeah. yeah. Um, because it's become so... It's become... I mean the ginkgo was that thing. And then when, it, yeah. when the ginkgo stopped, it was like this vacuum... Right, yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. everybody was like, "What happens now?" Like the air was let out of the tires. Yeah, it, it was, it's it's now divided in Fred doing good things because I I, I still remember that Fred came to me uh, uh, with the question, "I want to do something now in France like that. Uh, would you help me?" So 
there was a truck leaving here with my whole collection to set up his first Solieu mm-hmm. uh, bonsai show. And with, with my whole collection was there. I didn't have the time to clean it up. I just fill up the truck and he organized the first one. And from there, it starts. Fred yeah. was started up. So even behind the screens, I was helping as much as possible <laughs> to push somebody, just go for it, do it. Yeah. And look what he achieved now. Yeah, also Fred, Fred something, and Stephanie are killing yeah. it. They're doing, that show has really, really grown it, its own legs. So uh, Fred also is a good friend of mine. He was long student here. He was here also at the Kawabi School. I know him very well <laughs> over the years, uh, I was the first one in a row to help him out with yeah. this idea, and he made a good thing out of it. Um, what do we have more? Like, like yeah, the, the Norlanders Trophy was, was, was a thing that they held every year. And um, those, it, it is a small club. It is a small club that's doing actually a big thing. And, uh, and when I when I went there uh, two years ago to to supply the the demo trees, and Luke asked me, well, if you want, just uh, walk around and and then look over it. And well, it, that was the year that they fell apart with Mark or something, and I don't mm-hmm. know exactly what happened. And um, so I walk around to the whole show. And I said, wow, this is a big event and it goes wrong, so wrong here. And so, well, yeah, Luke, what do you think of it? I said, well, you you don't want to know uh, and you don't want to hear what I'm going to tell you now, but mm-hmm. this is not good, man. And uh, you, you can you can change so much. You have you have some good trees here and the difference between the good and 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 what's under it is so big and also the way of displaying and there is not really a flow in it and so many mistakes uh, for, a, for a show like that level I say yeah yeah but uh, we're only with a few people and you have to do it and I said listen uh, I will help you out and we will see uh, how it goes mm-hmm. and uh, like last year it was then brought it back on track and yeah started from there but but i will always be somewhere behind the, the scene to to do something and i'm i'm happy that it's still in our own country something happens and, and yeah. something is good so if if the time should be probably ready to 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 do a show and talk about we're going to work with mature trees and do something <clears throat> I probably gonna do it together with those guys. Cool. They 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 have the organization. They have uh, so, but we didn't talk about that. But it probably will come like another trophy. But then I'm gonna get the material from from all different sources. That maybe uh, a special edition when we go for another anniversary. Mm. <laughs> yes, I love it. I love it. But I, I mean. So you did seven Ginkgo Awards, but you never, you haven't yet talked about why it stopped or why you stopped with the Ginkgos. Every two years, and I saw every two years a progression and it was going seven times better and better and better and better. And certainly I had the idea 
Um, for the moment, this is the best Europe can bring. So before we should come on a, something like, well, I find the one from last year better. I didn't want that. Uh -huh. So it, it was time to stop. Got you. Every two years, and there was a good production of new material. But I could see also on the trees, it was close. Mm-hmm. Just uh, six and seven were close. It was a a minimal difference in yeah. the, in the rise of the quality. Yeah, yeah. And then most of the Japanese trees has to come to fill up the gaps, and so I, I missed it, uh, the European quality. Mm -hmm. And then it was time. Okay, if I say okay, probably if I'm gonna give a next one, I want to give. And that that were the legendary words of uh, if there is a next one, it yeah, has right. to be with mature trees. But also in that in that time, I promoted bonsai on so many different ways to the rest of the bonsai world. For example, by selecting a Spanish uh, elm. I don't know. It was a number six or seven. With a, from a guy who made canals. I remember his name is printed in my head. And he started this elm up from a seedling. And this tree was so good that he could stand next to a Kimura tree just from Japan. And he could fill up that gap to another top wow. Japanese tree. This man had this seedling for more than 30 years in his collection and he brought it to, so he was selected in the pre-selections and I give that, this tree a, a special award because I have to waken up Europe while everybody was looking or for a Japanese tree or looking for the best Yamadori to work on and then certainly somebody came up with a seedling. Mm -hmm. Gets the same level. So I wake them up again. Don't forget this, bonsai people. If you start with the hobby, don't forget to plant this seed. If you are capable enough, there is the possibility that you can come up with a tree and say, I did this myself all the way. Right. This is a part of bonsai. You do it or you don't. And this man reached the level and he still had this tree and he's still this top quality. So this was all a matter of education and uh, things where bonsai people in that time didn't think about it anymore. Whoa, Yamadori, and they all were so over from, and they didn't see the small things anymore. Mm -hmm. They didn't see the, the, the rare varieties. The, 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 the things that are not so common to make a tree out of it and where they were asking, what is this doing at the Hinko Award? This is not the same level. And then, so I have to explain, but listen, this is not so easy because this is just a normal, I said something, a normal campsis that, that grows against a, a wall as a, a climbing 
plant and it flowers, but you have a trunk of, of an arm thick and, and twisted and it's special. Right. And it's probably more than 150 years old and, and this man put it in a small pot and it has a strange shape also. This is a part of the art. So all these things I brought slowly into understanding the whole culture of but the European way. In Japan it was already existing. Sure. Different. But with our European our forsythias looking more clumpy in Japan, they are more they're making a, a little tree. We we working with our forsythia when it's flowered and the thick old trunk hollow and then let it grow free. But it's also beautiful. Right. And also this kind of appreciations, they don't reach the high level that it cannot stand next to a Nitoigawa juniper from Japan. And but you need it on a show. Right. So all these things selecting put it in between making a show together, yeah. let people understand more what is a bonsai show. It was also more like every time giving the, the audience when they're visiting a show, give him the journey where they walk through every line. They, they can experience a journey from my travel through Italy, go from there to, the, to France and, and I come... Even this experience I give in a show, yeah. if I put something together. Some people understand this, some people don't. But there is also a story in every line that you make during a show. That's while we doing that, this tree next to each other, you give it a flow, you give a bit of resting points in between. So I select many different things where people ask themselves, I don't understand what this is doing here. Well, this is a part of the show. Hmm. This is a part of European material or Japanese material that is a little bit more special. It's not the top-level tree. Those things I already brought into the Higinko Awards. Was I, I was explaining this 15 years ago right. already. Some right. people understood this and, and they all did something with it. It was growing from there. It was a matter of education while we enjoyed to make a big show. It was all together. And you you said something as we were having soup earlier. You said um, there was a point where I felt like I had seen it all. And now I have more ideas than I'll ever be able to accomplish. Yeah. What does that mean? There was a point where you thought... You kind of seen it all. Like, did you lose some interest, or what? Did bonsai lose its novelty for you, or did your passion yes. suffer, or what happened there? This was a part that uh, I don't say it was a burnout or something, but uh, yeah, doing seven days a week. 15, 18 hours a day, nothing else than that. On a certain time, it, it is enough. Mm -hmm. But also, um, there were no new ideas. No, I was thinking, well, I've, I've done everything 10 times, and that was it. And finally, now I have more ideas that, but that becomes by the new generation. 
because also you guys inspired the the, the the older ones to do a little bit more because we were there and 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 you do other things when we, we can go from there like yeah. Jan Kulek with his rocks, with his slaps, with his uh, what he's doing now. He's an artist on his way. Jan brought so much more because for me, this is a part of my hobby. These rock plant things and, and all this, but I, I just love it. And he opened another world for me that I, I don't have to work with European stones that I mixed and Japanese Ibigawas. Right. So he had more material where you can do different things with it and so also with his slaps and so those the new generation offers us also to go one step further to go and 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 do something else again so it's almost like uh in the same way that after the seventh ginkgo to continue doing the ginkgo for the reasons that you were doing it to to continue elevating the level it needed time to accomplish that next yeah. in, incremental increase in quality yeah, it's more or less like a tree needs time it's a- sure <laughs> so even your bonsai passion your bonsai practice needed some time yeah needed some time to to recharge but also needed some time for yeah. new pieces of inspiration and to some degree you could even say the generation your generation of bonsai practitioners took bonsai to that level and it was the younger generation needed a little bit of time to be able to digest yeah. and work on their skills yeah. and catch up and and try to start contributing to the bonsai community in a way where they were also paying it forward towards its evolution as yeah. well. Yeah. Yeah. And And now being back in this situation, you had said something to me when we were speaking last year, you said Luis Vallejo is hyper, really accomplished bonsai practitioner mm-hmm. uh, and, a, and a pioneer. And now he works super closely with Mario Comsta. Mm-hmm. And Mario is is t- taking those trees at the Alcobendas Museum and and doing magnificent things with them. Yeah. And you were saying that's that's a that's a really strong demonstration of Luis's sort of, I guess, elevated cerebral status yeah, as a bone type yeah, yeah. practitioner to be handing over yeah. some of that. Because this man don't have to prove anything anymore. Louis says, create from every European material from his country, from, from oaks to sabinas to pines, the best material he created from raw material till top quality bonsai. The man has his age... He's surrounded with talent, like Mario and, and one of his helpers. Mm-hmm. So he handed his trees over and they improved the trees. That makes him even bigger in my eyes that he don't have to prove anything. He did the job with the trees. He brought them there already where they have to. He was the best in Europe yeah. several times. And now he's uh, that good that he can say to Mario, okay, now this is your responsibility and go from there with my trees. That makes him a big, a big, big personality in my eyes. If you can do this, I wish tomorrow there is a young lad coming in here and say, okay, I'm going to continue with your trees. You make me the happiest man. That <laughs> Really? <laughs> I'd never had that concept presented to me. And... 
And it's it's particularly interesting because Mr. Camaro was always a bonsai professional who had the last, always had the final say, but also always had a lot of uh, hands-on interaction with the trees and apprentice mm. work. And I think there's a lot of bonsai professionals in Japan that over the course of their maturity um, stop doing a lot of the bonsai work and hand it over to the apprentices and sort yeah. of are, are more of watching from afar or guiding with a, a little bit of uh, less contact with the trees. And so I always had this association with if, if somebody stops touching the tree, that's a sign that they're losing sort yeah. of their edge or their practice or their awareness or attention to the art form. And when you described that with Luis, it just really kind of changed yeah. the way that I, the perspective that I looked at that from, and it, and it made a lot of sense to me. I, I, I really gained a lot from that conversation. Uh, I, I'm pretty humbled that you'd sit down and talk with us today. I, I appreciate it. I appreciate you opening your doors for us to be here. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah, so much, so much. So it's really, um, yeah. super special. And I, <laughs> you know, because, uh, since I was 15 years old, I've been following your work in your career. So I'm, you know, it's, it's, uh, we're closing in on closing in on 25 years of having followed your boneside journey, you know, and it's, <laughs> yeah, 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 and it's yeah. really helped pave the way, uh, for my boneside journey. So, uh, I, I just wanted to say thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. But, uh, let's, uh, I repeat it. I, I always look, uh, also to the other side of, uh, how you guys working over there. And it's, it's not only you that I follow. It's also your neighbor there, Michael, Michael Hagedorn. Also, his way, his own, very, very much a little bit mm -hmm. different. Yeah. But uh, still, you see the Japanese influence, but working with your own material, yeah. boats is uh, well. This is something I can recommend to every European bonsai person that that do something. Yeah, yeah. Very cool. Really. Yeah, Danny, thank you so much, man. It's My been pleasure. A pleasure. Thank yeah. you. We appreciate it.